0: A new episode of the Truth or Death podcast starts now.
1: Hello listeners and welcome back to Gigi and Saji. Once more, I'm an amazing company today and I'm super excited to talk about very important and relevant stuff today. I'm with Rebecca Jim, is that correct? Gim, yes, (laughs) Rebecca (laughs) Gim, Um, she goes by she her pronouns, she's an Aquarius, and she's going to tell you lots of amazing things to consider and think about when it comes to food and stuff, so hello and welcome Rebecca, hi, thanks for having me, (laughs) that's okay, that's okay, how are you doing, good, good It's a wonderful weather today, so I'm happy about the sunshine (laughs) It's so good to have sunshine back, honestly Um, It's so amazing Yeah, um, the stage is literally yours So if you want to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us what you do, who you are and stuff
0: Okay, Um, I'm Rebecca, Um, I'm South Korean I was born and raised in South Korea, but I lived for a long time in California, Warren County and LA And now I've lived in London for about two years so I have quite a bit of an international background, which I'll get back to on how it has impacted my views on food. But yeah, I am running a platform called Waste Your Taste. And um, as someone who grew up in between cultures, um, I'm kind of looking at the intersectionality of different kinds of environmental and social aspects of food systems. Yeah. That's me. That's <laughs>
1: super amazing. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm have i very lucky because Rebecca is uh, currently one of my flatmates, and that's how we met. And I think it's like it's incredible what she does. Um, but to get to know more about that, we're going to start with a couple of questions and guide you through that. So when did the idea of de-waste your taste start for you?
0: Um, the idea adhesion process of DYT was a bit more, uh, that was a bit more intentional. Started about last summer, uh, which was in 2020, uh, because it was part of my final unit from my master's. But the whole research throughout my master's um, from before that has kind of helped develop this idea little by little. Um, So I've covered food waste, food insecurity, food uh, cooperatives, and decolonization in past units. And that kind of really led into um, my current topic, which is on food sovereignty and bias. That's amazing, like um, cause,
1: yeah it's it's super great, um, for everyone who's gonna be hooked on that, you're gonna find Rebecca's socials in the description and stuff, so do not worry, um, we're gonna go into that later as well. um, what's the message that you wanna put into the world with the waste
0: taste? um, the platform covers various topics from the environmental and social aspects of our, our food, food consumption habits and the um, s- history of food and the supply chains and how all of that has integrated together to what, um, what we have now after industrialization. Um, so I, ho- I hope to destigmatize East Asian food, specific Korean food, and other kinds of marginalized food groups, but also demystify low waste, low heat slash energy, or um, generally low footprint recipes and eating methods. Um, and I hope it can be an inspiration that really pushes the boundary of what we know to be, quote-unquote, sustainable eating. Um, or it can be a simple nudge to just start questioning what is the impact of what I choose to consume. So that's what I want to put out there. <laughs> that's super amazing, and I think it's so
1: important because like, often people think, like, you know, uh, what can I do when it comes to like environmental changes? And it's often this like big cloud of, like, doesn't matter what I do but essentially it does because we all can do something and something small if everyone does it we all make a change in the world together so I think in the food aspect that's also something so relevant because like so people are often like oh but um I don't want to go completely vegan so like it's not only about like going completely vegan it's just like Generally being more aware of like what you eat, how you treat your food, where it comes from, like this whole see the bigger picture rather than like, oh, I'm just Mm going to buy this stuff and uh, not really think about it, like be more aware um, of what you consume in that sense. So do waste your taste uh, does that in an amazing aspect. And If you go to the website you still have the test online where Mm -hmm. you can do the yeah Yeah. like uh, there's a test online where you can uh see your food bias and stuff which Mm -hmm. i think is amazing because um when it comes to our own bias whether that's for like food or any other section it's super interesting to really figure out what your bias is because sometimes we're not really aware of that and Mm -hmm. i think that's super great that the waste your taste tackles that down on uh the food sector That's okay. <laughs> how was your experience with
0: D-Waste, uh, your taste so far? Like what did you learn on the journey? So I was thinking about how to really answer this in a simple way. And in design, we are taught to use a double diamond as a tool. So a double diamond is uh, basically a visualization of our design process. So the first part of the diamond is discover and then define, develop and deliver. Um, So my first experience when I was discovering the topic of food sovereignty and bias was listening to as much podcasts and watching as much documentaries and reading as much articles and reports and books as I can. And the defining stage is where I put together the parts that I feel relevant to the project and I need to focus more on. Um, So I looked into different case studies, uh, started interviewing food experts in UK and South Korea, and then developing stage, I started conducting workshops, surveys to hone in on the intersectionality of food waste and pre-industrial f- food preservation and slow eating methods. And then the delivering stage, I designed prototypes of digital cookbooks, websites, and cooking sessions to see the target audi- how the target audience re- responds. Um, and a really kind of um, significant point that I learned during the interviewing process was the ethics when it came to approaching participants was it was so important because um, I c- conducted two sets of interviews that was conducted th- um, throughout last year. Uh, one was with the farmers, street market vendors, grandmas, aunties, um, Buddhist monks around um, in, in South Korea. And one of them was with uh, food policy experts and researchers and chefs um, and anthropologists in the UK. Um, the first set of inter- interviews um, was intended to collect the knowledge around traditional cooking methods, recipes, um, and, and that resonated with them, and the c- uh, connectivity to, of, of that to the planet. planet. Um, and the insights from those interviews that was, um, that, w- that was that their relationship to food was such a simple necessity, and cooking was second nature to them. But food waste or veganism was not really significant, because their attitude towards farming was a norm and not a specialty. Um, and most of the people that I interviewed were women. Um, and it was really difficult because they were not open to spare their time to talk about irrelevant topics with an <laughs> irrelevant person. Um, especially when women were f- not frequently asked about their opinions. So. They were not confident to in their expertise and they refused immediately when I mentioned the words interview or pictures, um, which really indicated their retractive attitudes. Um, and despite my being a student, they viewed me as a privileged person, which I am, um, and the elements of gender class was definitely a part of how they responded to my approach. Whereas speaking to UK contributors, it was easier since I had um, reached out digitally and they have given consent in advance and they had a big idea of my intentions and they were happy to dedicate their time to a student. So that was something that I think was really interesting that came up throughout my research that was um, irrelevant to the actual topic itself, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's um, it's super, inter- like, in a way
1: I think it's, it's so... Um, Interesting to see that aspect, um, because it's going to dive into something that we're also going to talk later, uh, which is like gatekeeping. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, What's something you want to tell the listeners out there with your business and project that you do?
0: Um, I mean, there's so much I've learned throughout the process that it's kind of hard to point out which, which way to start. But taking back the ownership and reclaiming the nomenclature of my own food throughout. My project was such a grounded experience um, because I have to admit that since I've spent about seven years um, in US, before I came to the UK, I have been westernized in their views and um, I, I had different kinds of biases of my own. So to kind of really learn about Korean heritage and Korean history and how, how our food has developed the way it has and how um, industrialization and westernization has influenced it was very awakening to me and there was actually a lot more that I thought I knew but I didn't know Um, so it was definitely humbling and um, I learned that because food always evolves there needs to be a balance between appreciation and appropriation and my passion for uncovering food systems um, it seemed to have inspired a handful of people at least I hope um, who are following a project. Um, but whether this project manifests into a legitimate business or not, um, there are people who are willing to learn and their feedback shows potential for a bigger impact. Uh, so that's that's been really um, amazing to me and that's, that's why I keep continuing to do it. And the complexity of food has really shown me the interdependence of each sector on a global scale. Um, so yeah, it's definitely humbling to to me in a a way that proves how fragile the balance is and how an ethical approach has to be considered in each decision uh, when we go forward. Um, But yeah, aside from my personal growth, I believe there's uh, a desperate need for more more social innovations um, like mine because the economic crisis on the way right now, Um, many policymakers and uh, economists predict a big shift in the supply chain, spe- specifically in the UK. Um, for example, during the Bengal famine, famine in 1943, Churchill shipped food out of Britain to feed its troops, which killed three million Bengalis. Um, and just as the colonial administrators, you know, establishing the ration, ra- rationing for in India, um, they're doing it to themselves now with the Brexit and the COVID. Um, it's created a perfect storm for UK to be in a similar supply shortage, uh, but, but this same for itself. So I think the straining on trade, in addition to the um, ma- manipulation of food prices for profits, um, allows the cost of food to remain um, prohibitive for lower classes, uh, while enabling the wealthy and the middle class to really hoard it. So I think UK will be going through a food crisis in upcoming years, and there's a great need for change in policy um, to promote education for food literacy and access for healthy, affordable food. Um, So there's definitely kind of my personal aspect and also the general um, political aspect that needs, I think, that will be helpful for the listeners to, to look at thank you so much for sharing that
1: Um, I think it's absolutely crucial and essential on what you mentioned with um, cultural appropriation with appreciation so for anyone who doesn't know what the difference is it's basically if you appropriate something you're just taking it and you have no idea what it is about you in the worst case also make a joke about it you just take it very lightly it starts with things like um, if uh, for example if uh, you take a hijab and you're like not from that cultural aspect and you just wear it and you don't know like the the background of it and you just basically in the, in the worst case even like claim it as your own which is just not right and it's not okay. Um, we've all one way or another did it not like it's with a specific, specific example but before that like political correct word even came up a lot of people don't even know what it is um, so and I think yeah it's kind of like the, the whole system kind of like dives you into that because especially when you go somewhere as a tourist that's when it really starts because like things that are very cultural uh, appreciated they get to sold as like touristic items and you can just take it away from it and stuff like that and it's really important that we educate each other on that aspect because I've learned through my spiritual studies and stuff like that, like the big difference, like I knew before but I had no idea like how big that impact actually is and how damaging it can be to several cultures and in the aspect of food as well, if you just, it works with everything like food, fashion, just generally environmental things uh, or whenever you go somewhere, um, while appreciation is just you look at these things and you know like it's not yours, it's not yours to uh to take on in that sense. Um So you appreciate the background Like you're not running around Like you're not taking for example the hijab And claim it as your own Like especially when you're a white person for example And stuff like that Which is so essential to understand that That this is something that we need to break In the essential cycle of the society that we're living in Because it keeps happening And I think like as I said like I've done it in sense like being a tourist And just buying souvenirs and stuff when you Like I was younger and mostly it was kind of oh, like okay. a thing so from my yeah. from uh my parents and stuff but it's this thing of like yeah just because everyone does it doesn't mean like we have to do it as well like we can always change that aspect so it's really uh like that's the that's the difference of it and um just be respectful in that sense especially mm-hmm. to um uh, something that people have westernized and claim it as their own like take a look into it and like reconsider where it's coming from and uh do your research especially like before you just jump onto the bandwagon and basically just say like oh yeah but everyone does it and like yeah but you don't have to be like everyone (laughs) in that Mm -hmm. sense um so we're coming to the next topic which is like gatekeeping judgment and triggers what's your opinion on that when it comes to the sector of food
0: i think gatekeeping is Definitely a tricky one because food changes as as people immigrate and integrate. So it's hard to know who has ownership. Um, and you know, when immigrants let's say go to another country and they change their original recipe to fit those palettes um, of the people who are um, native there, then it's for survival. So is it okay to have that fusion? Is it okay to change it if if it's for their survival? Um, And there's a line between culture appropriation and appreciation, which you talked about, and it's very fine. So if a British celebrity cook um, takes kimchi and changes it to fit his own taste without acknowledging the history and nuances behind it, or honoring the people who has taught him or delivered the idea to him, is that okay? Or especially if he takes the idea and puts a five pound price tag on it and profits off of it, is that okay? But also, it popularizes the idea and it's better known because of the appropriation. so does that make it okay, or is if it's encouraging people to utilize local ingredients and experiment with that idea, then does that ba- balance it out? So there are so many kind of layers that come into it that um' is tricky to look at, but I think as long as you do have that respectful mindset, and you do honor the history and the nuances behind it, and the people, and acknowledge the fact that I'm not native to this culture. I'm not. I'm not owning it in any way. But I love this product. I love this idea. I love this concept. This recipe, and um, I'm going to give it a try as someone that's not native to it. Then I think you know, there's there's different approaches that you can take to it. Um, and you mentioned the word trigger, which I think is a term that's more related to mental health. Um, and there's a lot to be said, there, isn't it? Um, the way food has been manipulated to be a commodity, a commodity for profit, um, has changed the way we look at it because the connections, there's connections of religion, class, and race that is attached to it. So if you have specific religion, you eat uh, in, in certain times or the certain ways. Um, and different class um, or the history behind um, let's say I think it was someone that I talked to who was Polish had said that because they they didn't have access to meat for a long time without meat you know it was seen as a as incomplete you know if there was someone coming over there has to be something with meat in it but I think it's come much more common than just just Polish um, um, dishes. But so there's everything that's kind of, there's nuances to each ingredient and dish. And yeah, so so food is definitely such a personal endeavor. So comprehension beyond what we see on the plate and the behavioral change within food choice are extremely difficult. Um, And I want to mention this term neophobia, which is a fear of new things. Um, that can be intertwined with our own biases that can entail xenophobia or disorder thinking and more. So I think, yeah, triggers and gatekeeping is such an important topic. I think that's not commonly mentioned in different kinds of food reports. Yeah, lowering food um, footprint and looking at the uh, environmental aspect is also important, but also kind of pushing that idea Um, and making into policy has to be handled delicately because there are these kind of um, social nuances behind it as well.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I absolutely agree with what you said. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to add when it comes to these things and crucial points?
0: Yeah, I'd say to always stay curious and look into what the impact of your choices are. I mean, food uh, uh, corporations are intricately intricately siloed, and they're hard to see where they're sourcing their ingredients, or how they manipulate consumer heuristics for their benefit, or what the politics behind the infrastructure of agriculture, or whichever sector is like. Um, And this kind of pops into mind, but I interviewed Chung Kwan, who is a reclaimed Buddhist monk in Korea, known for her cooking skills. And she described our bodies to be a form of fermentation as well, because we were talking about fermentation and how that um, how that kind of concept is so um, close to Korean hearts. And she said to fully cook and consume is to understand the life of that organism and to look at the soil and the surrounding. I mean, it's not even about eating locally or seasonally. It's about understanding what's growing, you know, understanding the actual plant and the life itself, Um, and eating what's on the plate and buying from the supermarket isn't the only thing that you're part of, you know, you're part of this gigantic food system. So I'd always say, you know, like, pay attention and view the world with, with more empathy. Yeah, thank you so much. That's
1: super, like, I love that, that like it's beyond the plate, basically, yeah, which yeah, I definitely. think is absolutely true. We have one last question. Um, what's a message you want to leave the listeners to make them realize all of us can do something to change the
0: world? Yeah, I think, well, I, I know a lot of people say to vote with your dollars and you can change the demands of the industry as a consumer. But there's so much power the consumer can wield sometimes And I see so many times putting the blame on the consumer and making them pay for the vegan or organic label um, to try to change the industry, but it's more more of the industry's fault for having developed this extractive practice to to begin with. So I think, um, can one person change um, the behavior of the consumer? It's it's a tricky question, um, but I think it's a dangerous mentality to say, what can one person change, you know? So there's there's a balance of don't put the blame on yourself, you know, there is the bigger systematic change that needs to be had, but also do your best, you know, to try, try to stay um, curious. Um, and I know this helplessness that comes in sometimes is a learned behavior, so it takes practice. Uh, but there's a lot of things you can do as a micro-influencer, you know, little things you can discuss with your family, little policy you can maybe introduce into your workspace. Um, so you can be an activist or a self-activist or just an open-minded learner, um, but just definitely keep the hope um, that you actually can do something, um, but also do it at your own pace and try not to, you know, keep all the perfectionism in mind yeah thank you so much for sharing
1: that I absolutely agree when it comes to the pace part because often people feel like they can't do anything because you know especially when you have like big activists in your like environment and you like see them going on the street and like demonstrating signing all these petitions doing all that kind of stuff and it can feel overwhelming because like you sit at home and you think like but what can I do when I don't have like the resources or like Mm -hmm. the, the time or the the capacity or whatever it is um, because obviously there are also like obstacles that we have to fight to make a change Um, but I think it's like this is the important thing like small steps are big steps together Mm -hmm. so like it starts with like signing a petition per day for the voice that you want to raise whether it's like fighting for uh, cleaner oceans or anything like it can be like uh, local petitions as well it doesn't always have to be the big thing that's going on in the world you know start small and then go from there and then you know, starting with things like exchanging plastic bottles into a reusable bottle and stuff like that So like these are already steps and um, and, and there's going to be more discussed in other episodes as well about this with more statistic facts and stuff Because I need to keep bringing this up guys because Yeah, we're the future and we're not going to have a future if we don't do something about it And that's something that we really need to understand That this is not about you and me This is about the whole thing which is called the blue planet That we have um, I think everyone should check out David Attenborough's documentary on Netflix About that, it makes you very emotional And really, couldn't like Unless you're just, I don't know, a stone It makes you really emotional And um, it makes you really think about what's going on In the world And don't, like, don't, don't Take this as an attempt to like, you know, now you, everyone needs to be super stressful about this This is like, small steps lead to bigger steps And, um, you know, it starts also with stuff like If you buy one less t-shirt a year, that saves so much water and production and stuff like that mm-hmm. So there are so many things that you can do And don't be afraid to like, start doing it Just because your friend circle doesn't do it Like, don't follow, don't follow the, the what everyone does Do it, just do it and um, if you feel like un- unsure about, like there are lots of resources out there, like go and get them. And um, we all can make a change together. Um, so thank you for answering all these yeah, questions. Okay. We're moving on to my f- one of my favorite sections, which is called the total truth, where my guest has the chance to say up to three truths and I can't do anything about it. Here you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I guess um, the truth, I don't know how to kind of tackle this one. Um. I mean, it can also just be one thing that you want to get out of uh, or something like that, so whatever you want to say. This might be a controversial uh, topic, but apparently David Attenborough, I saw somewhere about how he has this kind of history of eco-fascism, which is a new term that's coming up, I think. Um, It's it's basically the idea of putting the blame of um, overpopulation onto um, countries that bear more children than... Um, more industrialized countries, and the idea of oh we have to have this blame on these other poor countries, and now they're um, reproducing, and this is this is all of their fault. Um, so that that might be um, a controversial topic, but basically I'm saying David Maud Edmar, like he's kind of dodgy. I want to look into it. I want to see what's going on. So that might be a truth, that <laughs> might be a bit more controversial. Yeah. Uh,
1: thank you for sharing this. As I said, like. Statement is there um, and my guest has always the chance to speak up about what they want to say So um, and yeah, it's like it's always good to like, you know reflect on things as mm-hmm. well. So like um, One great thing can also be another th- uh, How do you say it? Another one's poison in that <laughs> sense <laughs> yeah. if you get what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you for sharing that yeah. Um Usually, I would go on with quick fire questions in that section, but um, just before we literally started recording, I asked Rebecca to talk about something that is very dear mm-hmm. to me, and I think it's very crucial that we talk about in this podcast because it's currently going on and um yeah it's it's a very like it's a very moving topic for me um as someone who really loves um the Asian culture at the moment, if you all have social media or if you look at social media, there's this movement called Stop Hate uh asian cri- uh, stop asian hate yes mm-hmm, right yeah. yeah stop asian hate um i think i believe that's the hashtag and um it's a it's a hashtag that raises awareness about asian crime uh crimes against asians that have been happening especially like in the very recent uh weeks and that keep happening and it starts with also the the racism part on on asians and stuff and uh i want to give rebecca the chance to speak up about it before i say something about it
0: yeah i I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It's been really traumatic and really hard and frustrating, and I've had sleepless nights where I wanted to like scream out top of my lungs or punch someone or do something, um so I would sometimes call my friend and be like, "I can't sleep. can you please um take a moment and you know be here for me so yeah it's not it's not been easy and this is a statistic that i read a while back or so a couple of months ago but um, after the pandemic started asian hate crime rose by 21 percent in uk and i believe now that's like 150 or something crazy like that um and um asian immigrants and workers all over the world has taken the biggest hit as xenophobia led to you know avoidance and alienations of their businesses and now it's something much more aggressive than that um so I think the kind of long-term consequences of the economic recession, um, not just immigr- uh, Asian immigrants, but other vulnerable minorities—that's um, that's something that I've been talking about since I've started this project. Um, and with the a Black Lives Matter movement on the rise in U.S. Um, and the conversations already existing in the politics of food industry, I think is really starting to emanate, which is I think great, but also there's there I, I really want to talk about more of this, um, the the bigger picture of it, but also we need to address like the specific incident that also happened in Atlanta. Um and I read I heard another podcast that talks about, oh, you know, like the massage parlors, apparently they, they might have had these sex work involved and therefore it justifies the um Robert A. Aaron Long, um, the the actions that he took um, to try to eradicate the temptations, and I'm like, yeah, so like, so sex workers deserve to die? Like, what is happening with this reasoning behind here? And uh, the the whole comment that the sheriff said about him having a bad day was just like really just like the cherry on top, um, and. That was the most frustrating part to me was that he was more empathetic towards the white man who was trying to eradicate the temptation. You know who had a bad day? The victims. You know who had a bad day? The families. You know, it was- and I can't believe how easily our lives are on the line for a, a person's bad day. You know, like I don't- I have, I have bad days and <laughs> I don't go killing people. and yeah it's it's been really tough and I think the whole the whole topic of fetishization and sexualization of Asian women and um it's it's been it's been centuries you know since war um we've always been kind of this uh commodity as sex slaves, um specifically looking at comfort women in Korea um, but of of course in in different um countries as well. And it all leads up, and it all builds up to how the porn industry works, um, how women are categorized like jam, you know, apple flavor, <laughs> orange flavor. It's the way, the way um, women are objectified and the way the integration of racism and misogyny comes in is definitely how this whole event has occurred. And yeah, I mean, I, I can talk about like, the general idea of how that impacts the food system, and um, the history behind it, but also this for this significant event, um, it's just, yeah, it's it has to change. It has to, it has to be looked at. It has to be addressed. And I'm glad that it's becoming a trend, um, the the hashtag. But also, there's been so many signs. There's been so many discussions behind it. It's just sad that this has to have have happened, for for it to be. A big, a big of a deal, you know. So it's just heartbreaking and frustrating, and um, yeah, my heart goes out to those women and their families. And um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still gonna be clutching my keys, and I'm still gonna be talking about how it's not just the U.S., it's U.K., it's Europe, you know, and um, everyone has a place to, ha- everyone has a has a um, role to play. Um, so yeah, I just have to keep myself in check, um, but also speak about it all, even though it's hard. Yeah.
1: Yeah, First of all, thank you for sharing this um, firsthand. Um, I'm just gonna, like, all I can do is obviously be an ally and uh, I would like to say, or I hope that I've always been somewhat be capable of like trying to be the ally that you guys need. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes out to everyone. And um, I've seen this thing of, uh, and this is kind of like what makes me mad, essentially. Um, There are like three points that really make me mad. Like what you just said, um, so this guy has a bad day, and it's another white guy just gets away with it because he had a bad day, you know? And I'm so tired of it. I'm so freaking tired of it that this keeps happening. Like, people have a bad day. Like, suck it up, buttercup. Like, it's so... It makes me angry, it just makes me angry And then That kind of also dives into This whole thing of like, you know, sex workers Conflict that has been happening And I'm gonna say this right away here If you think that sex workers are not Workers Or right to have Their work paid for or whatever Don't cross me (laughs) Don't cross me Because I think it like you are literally sitting at your home at night jerking off because these sex workers are out there and having... are your entertainment for the night and stuff so um, don't even like cross that line with me Um, I think every woman or even also men that do that and have the bravery to stand out with their body and um, you know take it on as a job you are absolutely valid and amazing and I think it's like kudos to you because I couldn't do it Um. And I think it like that's one essential thing that I want to name here, like the hate and like jokery and mm-hmm. all that kind of yeah. nonsense against sex workers needs to stop essentially itself, and especially against female sex workers, like they are valid in our system, and um, they are a huge thing, and people need to like start respecting that. And then when it comes to the essential uh, essential thing. Um, one thing that i want to say is like i've seen people you know that listen to k-pop that drink matcha latte and stuff like that and (laughs) they shut up about these things and that is what essentially makes me mad because yeah you don't like you don't need a reason to be like raising your voice for humans you don't need a reason but when you like basically use something of their culture or like Dazzle yourself yeah. into that culture And you don't speak up about it That makes me angry Because that's like Hello this like, And this is like It's so sad that these things need to happen That people start to speak up Like to be honest I could literally spend all day on social media Just trying to share information And speak up about these things Because like You can always speak up about something Like it shouldn't be a trend It needs to Like this is something that we need to keep talking about Because right now This incident had has blown it up but essentially we need to keep talking about these things because it will happen again and like there are so many incidents that have come up now but that had been there for like a couple of months maybe even years and like people just don't pay attention to it and like one big thing here is also be critical with the media just like be critical when it comes to like the media that you consume and um, it's things like that you see on media when magazines report things and One of the big things that really annoys me is this thing of like, um, Asian person did this, um, Muslim person did this Like, it's always about race and it's like, at the end of the day it's a human being that did this or that Like, stop classifying it, it's this whole bullshit that started also the, like, the Chinese virus and stuff Like, cut the bullshit, that's just not how it works, like, that's not how the virus works Um and things like that and that's where the ascent, like the rooted racism comes from and it needs to stop and like I'm speaking up here for everyone out there like for the girls Um that this horrible incident happened and like for everyone else that feels like they can't like they can't be who they are Based on their race or whatever like you could like this is a platform where you can always Speak up for your problems. Um And whatever you want to raise and like I hope that when people hear this out there that they feel somewhat safety and um I mean, it's it's so it's so little that I can do in that sense, but it's definitely something that I want to raise here, like stop that kind of hate. And it's it's what you said is so cr- true. Like it's not only the US. Like I come from Germany, and I've been growing up with the constant environment of like, oh, Asians look all the same. Like shut up. If you look at Germans, yeah, we all have like essentially DNA uh, similarities and stuff. But like, we're all different beings, so cut that bullshit, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it anymore Um, And if you're around me and stuff, like, be respectful and like, treat people as humans Treat people as humans and not as like, based on the race or gender or all that kind of stuff, so yeah
0: that's something that I had to get out of my system. Yeah, um, that's, that's so important. I think what you mentioned about how some people kind of tokenize parts of the, um, parts of the culture that they like, K-pop or you know K-drama, and select what they want to like and what they want to see, but not also see the other parts, the dark parts, and um, and a different aspects of the culture and address those and also stand up for them when they need it you know and speaking of um how it exists outside of US too um I know that you know Sarah Everett that really close hit close to home you know it's it's right like 20 minutes from from where I live and um that's heartbreaking and 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 uh, my heart goes out to her but also we need to speak have the same energy when it comes to different people who um who isn't covered in the media as much like Sukri Abdi and Blessing or Segun. I'm gonna totally butcher that name. Um, but and and yeah, we need to look at the different kind of intersectionality of how people are angry about Sarah. I think also because she was this beautiful white woman in the UK, whereas other people of color, women of color, you know, that were not definitely, were not covered as much and we're deemed um, as less, and we don't um, provoke as much empathy um, because we're seen as subhumans. So there, there needs to be some kind of um, connection there, and to make people see um, that actually, you know, like like you said, we need to be able to see them as human beings. Um, but also, it is I think impor- important to address race in some way, just to s- not minimize their experiences, and um, and and. Do acknowledge that you know it, it does exist and it is, it does have to be acknowledged to a certain point, um, but but yeah, uh, all the points that you raised was definitely I think um, um, rele- uh, relevant to now, to these times. Yeah,
1: thank you. I mean, as I said, like I can do only also, uh, I can only do so much as an ally, but I will try and keep fighting for that kind of thing because um, yeah, it it doesn't like doesn't leave me unbothered, like not at all um, cause I've been one of the people that kind of like always grew up with Asian culture and like influences by that and like it, it goes beyond Asian culture, you know, we need to raise voices in like, in these, for human aspects, for humanity out there so, um, listeners, um, please do that and, um, it starts with things like, you know, you can easily share a social media post like, you can do that, um And there's no no one that should hold you accountable for raising your voice for human rights because that's um, something that is crucial to our society and that what we wanna someone be based on I guess. (laughs) So yeah, that went deep. (laughs) Um, We're wrapping this podcast up with a final question, which is like, what's your opinion on like worst and best zodiac sign? Best.
0: What and best what? Zodiac sign. Zodiac sign. Oh. Mm. Um I don't know. I mean, I'm th- I'm not as informed towards zodiac signs as you are. So, I'm I'm not so good at it, I think, but um I I can kind of tell you about the different kinds of aspects that I've seen from what I've experienced. <laughs> sure, go ahead. Um, I think what you've said about um, Aquarius and how we're both Aquarius, um, there's definitely a lot of energy that goes around. Um, so I don't know. I'm definitely biased because it's my personal <laughs> one. Um, so I think there are a lot of like activity and kind of um, let's do this, let's, let's take it into my own hands and that kind of sense of autonomy that comes into it which I think is great um, but also um, looking at, I think it was Gemini's um, that had a very kind of like laid-backness that I think is really great um, and, and it does kind of go well with Aquarius so I've, I've had really good interactions with those kind of people. Worst um that's that's I don't know that's hard to touch I think um just because I don't want to like offend anyone (laughs) it's Um, okay like this is literally a banter section so (laughs) we had
1: all kinds of answers so
0: far (laughs) um I think I know that Scorpios have apparently a very strong um (laughs) reputation but I gotta say I also have I think rising you're strong, rising strong rising PL, PL, yeah. PL. so I might be kind of bashing myself at, at this <laughs> point <laughs> but yeah we can be a, we can be very um, straightforward and strong
1: <laughs> yes yes thank you so much for your input on that and uh, thank you so much for being here today uh, everything that like cannot thank you enough like for being here and like no. speaking about these topics because like yeah peop- more people need to hear it it needs to be out there um and we will speak more uh, about these kind of relevant topics and um, so yeah thank you so much I hope listeners you have learned something today whether it's about like food bias racism or any any other thing that really like sparked something in you and that this episode uh, takes something um, for you or like with you um, or you take something away from it and um, that really helps you to understand what this is really about um. so next time on Gigi and Saji um, we're gonna discuss uh, about more life-relevant world-changing topics and I hope you guys are uh, stuck with us, and keep coming back and listening to this, so thank you Rebecca for being here today thank with me it
0: was really fun <laughs> Yeah, um,
1: and wherever you are in the world right now listeners, um, thank you so much for listening, keep coming back to this podcast and yeah, love, hope, revolt bye bye if you can't get enough of us don't you worry, we on social media for you to contact us, to talk with us to have questions, to raise questions, and to Raise your voice towards us Gigi which is me you can find as Elsie Hamilton Arts on Instagram as well as literally Elsie Hamilton all around uh, the internet go to our site revolutionseries.com and you can also find extended social media contacts when it comes to ref series Saji, which is known as Apple you can find on social media Instagram under a certain name. We also drop the links in the description. Have fun, contact us and have a good day.